Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today for an episode, we have a conversation on how Christians should engage with the election. Scott, so we've got an important topic today, but before we get there, wasn't there a a baseball game or something that happened last night that was kind of important? It was epic creating and century ending and a new movement establishing because the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And this is this is what's funny for me. My son is the assistant scouting director for the Chicago Cubs. And I've been saying for four years, I've been telling people <laughs> yes. for five years, the plan that was in works for the Cubs. And I would I would say to students, you know, in four years we're going to compete. In five years we got a chance for the World Series. It's exactly what happened. I mean, it was a close game, obviously. Yeah, it was a close it, series. Man, it was that tough. was exciting. <laughs> I mean, it was tough with the Giants. It was tough with the Dodgers. And it was tough with the Indians. But um, the Cubs have done it. And they des- they were the best team in baseball during the summer. Yeah, they were. A- and so in that sense, they were deserving of a World Series. And they came back last night after they almost lost it. And uh, it's they kept test- them cool, though. That's, that's, that's what they did all season. They kept their that's cool. That's right. They come back. This is a resilient team. And, and people should be reading the story about what Jason Hayward did in the locker room mm. during the rain delay about motivating the team and it's a it's a beautiful story of team leadership yeah. so that's the cubs uh has nothing to do with politics <laughs> but, it, but it's a lot more enjoyable than politics in the in the american scene right now yeah it is before we go on anything you want to say to the the naysayers or skeptics that didn't believe your your words of prophecy about the uh four or five years down the road for the cubs the only thing i have to say is um, last night's score and the result of the World Series proves everything that needs to be said. Yeah, absolutely. 100% right. All right, well, probably uh, a little less exciting for us than uh, talking about the election, which is inevitable, coming up. Um, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, then uh, it's uh, uh, just less than... Uh, a week away for us with the upcoming election. And it it stirs questions in us as Christians. You know, how are we supposed to be focused on being God's kingdom here on earth? And how should we engage in uh, issues with things like the election and the government coming up and and all of those things wrapped up together in that that type of idea? Well, I think uh, that what this election has taught us is that America is more divided than most people realized that the uh, vitriol directed at Donald Trump and the vitriol directed at Hillary Clinton are uh, should not be partaken in by Christians who take civility and loving your enemy as yourself and loving one another as your neighbor seriously. Uh, but. Um, I, I think that it has not only taught us that the American nation is divided, but that we have a large pocket, its uh, let's call them Trump supporters, of very resentful, deeply disappointed people 
to whom the church needs to find a way to minister uh, and whom the church needs to acknowledge as human beings made in the image of God that deserve to be heard and their voice needs to be on the table. So uh, I think the, uh, the election has, has revealed some great fissures, but also some great opportunities for the church to refocus what it's doing and begin to treat all people as made in the image of God and in need of redemption and to be a part of the church. Yeah, I love that you bring that up and the, you know, how do we approach the conversation with having uh, a view of people that we see the image of God in them, no matter who they are, no matter what beliefs they hold to, no matter what political party they might adhere to or, or a candidate that they might support, that before we can have a conversation or a disagreement or an agreement, we have to see that reality that more than anything, this person is somebody who who has the image of God and, and bears that in their life. And um, I don't know. I, yeah, I love that. I don't think before we can go on, we, ha- we can go anywhere else other than that. Yeah. Um, and, and Chaz, you know, in, in the history of American political life and the participation of the church in the political process, and let's not be silly here, from the very beginning, uh, the United States or even the, you know, colonial America, uh, and, you know, before it, it became the United States, uh, the Christians were deeply involved in politics, in mm-hmm. fact, virtually running cities and states. All you have to do is read read about colonial Connecticut, and you see that uh, Puritans had a huge influence on what was being done and what was being decided. They were, to use the expression of Francis Bramer, a brilliant historian of early American history, uh, they were building a new Jerusalem. So there has been this tradition, and I, and I like to say, you know, my uh, approach to things um, is to find core and essential ideas rather than to splinter it into 72 different nuances because I want to communicate to people in the church Mm -hmm. uh, rather than just simply in the academic community. But in the academic community, we can break things into various theories. But I I think that there are two basic terms involved in how American Christians involve themselves in government and what their aims are. Mm -hmm. And one of them is transformation and the other one is liberation. The transformationists, um, and I think that would include the Puritans, uh, but it also comes to expression in a great Dutch theologian, politician, who had a huge influence in the United States, and that's Abraham Kuyper. And then after Kuyper, a, a variant of that with some existentialism thrown in, and from a more mainline orientation was H. Richard Niebuhr. But I think common to all these three, from the Puritans all the way to Niebuhr, and there are great differences, but common to all three of them is the theme of transformation. They want Mm -hmm. to be involved in the political process at some level, whether it's voting, whether it's running for office, or whether it's influencing the government, local government, state government and federal government through their opportunities, through their influences, influencers, through their writings, through the giving of their money and through voting. They want to shift 
and motivate and move and influence the United States in the direction of their beliefs of what they think God wants for the United States and what they think is is justified by Constitution, though many times these these two are confused, or at least so the Constitution says one thing, I believe that this is God's will, something X is God's will, uh, say abortion, uh, or is against uh, is against God's will, and so they they fight against that. That that mm-hmm. I think has been the standard operating mode of operation, operating procedure of Americans, Christians, uh, all the way from conservative fundamentalist evangelicals to uh, mainline liberal types. They all believe that fighting for particular viewpoints is the best way Christians can engage in the political process. Now, on the other side, there has been a great theme that I think has really come to expression in this election in people like Bernie Sanders, less so in Hillary Clinton, although she'd love to have his voters, and it looks like she's going to get them. And that is more the theme of liberation, that the fundamental uh, responsibility of the government is to establish laws and to protect the rights of people so that they can be liberated and uh, set free from any kind of institutional blockage, any kind of institutional injustice, any kind of systemic evil. And so the so they they both are going to work for in the through the governmental process. The former tend to be a little bit more moderate and uh, civil within the process, and the latter uh, tend to operate more with boycotts, um, more rebellion, uh, more revolutionary themes. Uh, but still, they're, they're trying to change the government in the direction of what they think God's will for the world is, as revealed in Scripture, as revealed in Jesus. So, for, so, yeah. so, so as Christians, I mean, you've kind of laid out these two options and routes to take um, to approach government and, and for the vision to how God works through government, even either being that of transformation or uh, liberation. Uh, do you feel out of those two, is there one better than the other, or are there maybe pros and cons to either approach to how a Christian may engage in the act of government? Well, um, Chaz, I see things a little bit differently, but uh, I believe in liberation, and I believe in—I uh, think it's it's entirely legitimate for Christians to participate in the government process. Uh, at least that's the—I'm going to say this has been the Christian approach from the very beginning, or not from the very beginning, but at least since the Christians began to have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to have a voice uh, under Constantine and afterwards. But um, I think in the process, I I, I think that there's a massive distortion. And here's the way I'd like to put it, is that increasingly American Christians get all riled up just as the rest of the United States does during election season— And they develop what I call an eschatology of politics. And that is the belief that if we vote in the right person, that the world will change or our government will change Mm. or our nation will change in the direction that we think the nation should change. And so uh, let's look at this. In the last, let's just say it's been 18 months. 
It's, it's actually been longer than that. But for 18 months, the American populace, Christians as a very much an integrated part of it, have spent all their time deciding whether Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump is going to be the person who leads us in a better direction. Yeah. For 18 months, the church has been massively distracted from the mission of God in this world, mm -hmm. which is not the betterment of the United States so much as it is the evangelism of the world and the edification of Christians in the local church and in the church uh, universal. But the churches have been massively distracted from their mission because they've become, along with the rest of the world, obsessed with political process and belief that if we get the right leader, uh, our nation uh, is going to be a better place. Let's face it. This is almost a a belief in or a theory of redemption through political process. I find this to be uh, disgusting theological, mm. theologically, and unrooted in Bible. But more importantly, it it focuses us on the wrong thing uh, in political process as the means of redemption and prevents us from seeing that the means of redemption is through the cross and resurrection of Jesus and the locus of that redemption being in the church. And how many Christians today are so obsessed with the political process that they they have very little to do now with the church. They, they just, right now, we're sitting on the precipice. If Hillary becomes the president, the world will be a better place. Or if Donald Trump becomes the president, the world will be a better place. And in saying that, we are, are deconfessing that the world will only become a better place when it is redeemed through Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, I had a interesting story uh, that I think reflects this back in the uh, 2012 election with Obama. And um, there was somebody who went to Facebook who was not an Obama supporter. And when he got elected in um, for the, the presidency for a second term, um, this person went to Facebook and wrote, um, going to sleep, um, tearful and worryful about uh, our, our future and, and what's to come of America. And uh, I had a professor who who in college um, talked about this and we were dialoguing it and, and he made the great observation because uh, this gal was a, was a Christian believer in Christ and saying, um, making this statement about falling asleep weeping. And he asked the question, well, when was the last time that you fell asleep weeping about all of those who, who don't know Christ, about all of those who <clears throat> are, are face violence every day, about all of those who, who go hungry to bed? Um, and I thought that was a good question of framing how we see this idol of power and just like you said, voting in the right person and having an eschatology of, of politics and, um, and really, like you said, the danger that that is and the massive destruction, distraction that it is for the church and the mission that God has for us in the world. Yeah, and, and you know, my, my emphasis is, is not that Christians shouldn't vote. Right. I, do th I do think that Christians ought to think a little bit more intelligently yeah. about whether they should vote or not mm -hmm. and really what impact it makes. In my, in, you know, I, I, I make this casually. In my lifetime of paying attention to the political process and the candidates and the presidents of the United States, I think only two presidents have really made a big impact. Mm 
Hmm. And that was Ronald Reagan in the 80s. And uh, it looks to me like Obama has made a big impact because the nation is shifting toward um, a more. You know, I, I think it's clear the nation is shifting toward a more leftist orientation to politics. And um, so in the end, uh, Obama did not was not able to achieve all the things that he promised he would be able to achieve. Sure. Neither will Clinton and neither would Trump uh which I think his chances of being elected are about zero. Uh, I think Nate Silver puts him at 18% or something like that. Uh, but my, my point would be that, and there's been an increasing um, emphasis among evangelical Christians since the days of Jerry Falwell and the moral majority on Ronald Reagan. Uh, and there's been a mirror reaction on the part of Democrat progressive type Christians who are now progressive type Christians and mainline to become Democrat. So much so that if you see that someone is a member of an Episcopalian church or a Presbyterian church, one of the instincts you would expect is that they would be Democrats. Mm -hmm. And if you see that someone is a Southern Baptist or a part of the evangelical free church, you would think that they are Republicans. When this happens, the church loses, the gospel loses, and Christians begin to lose their influence in the world and in the nation because they've become so politically aligned. My emphasis is not that we should avoid political engagement, which I think is completely legitimate Christian behavior for those people who think that's what they're called to do. Mm -hmm. My emphasis is that we need to learn to see the church as a politic. And that is to say, the kingdom of God is the redemptive work of God in Christ to create a new people under him to follow his will and to embody that will in space and time in the church and in the fellowship of Christians, not just on Sunday morning, but all the time, so that the church becomes an embodiment of justice. The church becomes an embodiment of reconciliation. The church becomes an embodiment of peace. The church becomes an embodiment of love. And that right there is a witness to the world that there's an alternative way. And instead of the alternative being Democrat or Republican, it becomes political process or seeing the world through the eyes of Jesus and the kingdom of God that he is beginning to unleash in the church of his people in the world today. Uh, that, that to me is where, where we ought to be focusing. And then out of that, out of learning what it means to be just, peaceful, loving, and reconciling in a local community, we can begin to influence our neighborhoods and our communities and our nation through the witness of knowing what it looks like, through the witnesses, the witness of wisdom of what we've learned from it, and through the witness of embodiment. And at that point, the church becomes a credible witness to an alternative way rather than simply one side, uh, one part of the partisan political process. Yeah. So, Scott, I wonder if you have any, I don't know, like specific practices or applications that um, any church community could take up to uh, to to work to 
bring this reality that you just talked about, a, a politic alternative of justice, reconciliation, peace, and love. How do we foster that in our faith communities um, in, in such a way that we uh, take the emphasis off the distraction that it can be and 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 us just being collected around our our what's familiar and our what we agree on and um, what we see as, as being right to to focusing the church more on those things that you just laid out. Here, here's the first thing that we have to do. We have to know what our goal is. I think one of our goals today needs to be to snap the tie between Christians, churches, evangelicals, be, uh, between evangelicals and a political party and the political process so that we're known for something else. Look, if you ask, if you did a poll and you ask typical Americans, what is an evangelical? Uh, the vast majority of them would say they're Republicans. Mm -hmm. That is something that must be snapped. We are known for political alliance. We need to be known for loving our neighbors. Mm. We need to be known from for converting enemies into neighbors. We need to be known for compassion, for living in a just life, for living peaceful lives, for creating churches that offer an alternative way. So our goal must be constantly that we have to snap that relationship. And I write about this. I blog about this. I try to say it uh, when I have an opportunity that I think is worth saying. It's not something I pound the drum on every day, but it's something I believe every day. The second thing I think we need to do in our churches is routinely confess that Jesus is Lord, that Obama is not, that Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump are not, that no human governor is the Lord, but Jesus is the Lord, and constantly refocus the church toward its true lordship and to, toward its true ruler. And by doing that, we begin to create a, a habit and a mindset and a worldview where we are ruled by Christ, not by who the political uh, president is. And the result of that becomes that we minimize political rhetoric in our churches. Mm -hmm. We tone down the, the shrill cries about who could be the next president, and, and we tone down the significance of the political process for what our witness and what our mission in the world is. I, I can tell you, in our church, um, one, of our, one of our teachers at the church made a public statement that, that I thought was brilliant about we need to recognize that Jesus is Lord and that, uh, that at times uh, political parties need to be critiqued. And this person critiqued one of the political parties uh, from behind the pulpit. And one of the persons said, um, I will, I will never respect that person's voice again. Now, what I heard in that one was a person who was so wedded to one of the political parties mm. that they could not believe that there would be any legitimate critique of that political party from the pulpit. Um, and I thought it was a perfect illustration of what the church is calling it actually is, is that it stands aloof, it stands uh, over against the political process, and it speaks prophetically against and into both parties and into and against the nation and for the nation uh, and for the people. So I, 
I, I find this as a common problem, and we need constantly to declare that Jesus is Lord and work, let the, that confession work out its implications in our churches today so that people will hear a different message, not one that secretly is aligning with the Republicans or the Democrats, but one that is aligning itself boldly and clearly for Jesus, regardless of which political party uh, wins. Yeah, I like that. Know the goal. I've heard it said before, we need to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. And yeah, that's so good. Yeah. The, and David Kinnaman has, um, and Gabe Lyons, I think, was the, the other yeah. author in that great book about unchristian and, and just the reality of that, if you wanted to yeah. check yeah. that out. It's a few years old now, but I think still has true and bearing research. And, and then and, coming back... And, and Dan Kimball's book, yeah. They love Jesus and not the church yeah. uh, uh, has a section on p politics as well. And he does it very, very well, giving anecdotal evidence that many people critique the church because they think it's a political party. Now, my frankly, I think sometimes the critique is 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 not that it's a that it's partisan in politics, but it's the wrong party for that person, um, which is to me is is the same problem. It's just a mirror problem rather than a, than a real solution. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe a, a good last question for us to wrap up is when um, people who are in the church, um, because of whatever reason it may be that led them to have the, uh, the, the beliefs and insights that they do on what's best for America, when the people of the church disagree, how, how do we have um, positive and beneficial conversations um, instead of just slinging mud at each other and, and creating further division that ultimately isn't ever helpful to the kingdom and the work of God in the world? Chaz, this is actually a, a brilliant question because it, it, it forces the, uh, a solution from a different direction. Mm -hmm. uh, how can we get along when we differ? Mm -hmm. Here's the problem is that these differences politically are seen by too many people as so significant, so significant that we wonder how we can get along. Isn't this a mockery of what fellowship in Christ and under Christ is? When, when we have trouble fellowshipping with people who are Democrats or Republicans because we're the other party, then we've allowed our political alliance and allegiance and partisanship to determine who's in our circle or not. Mm -hmm. This is why we have to preach that Jesus is Lord and create different patterns of thought in the church and say, you know, we can, we can agree so much on Jesus Christ, so much on the gospel of grace, so much on our need to love one another and our commitment to one another, that what your political party is and what mine is, is so insignificant compared to our unity in Christ and our decision to follow Christ and to live under him as our true Lord and King that, that we don't even have to raise the question of how we get along. Hmm. I mean, I can tell you at our church, um, I hear very, I feel very little tension in our church in politics. I see it occasionally, but by and large, most people seem to think that, you know, uh, we're united in Christ. We, we, we believe that Jesus is the Lord, and therefore that's what draws us together. Uh, politics be damned. Uh, we are 
together with one another in Christ in church and in our fellowship with one another throughout the week so much that political partisanship is not a factor in our relationship. That's that's what we need to start practicing. What, because when we're asking the question, how can we get along as Republicans and Democrats in the church, we're allowing our political alliance to determine the fellowship and set the boundaries. And that's a mockery of our fellowship in Christ through the power of the Spirit. Yeah, I, I love that. And a couple weeks, maybe have been a month ago now, uh, you spoke at, at Catalyst at, um, in Atlanta, and uh, their whole theme at, at Catalyst was an uncommon fellowship. And one of the things Andy Stanley said in his talk I thought was really good. He said, imagine a world where people were skeptical of what we believe, but envious of how we treat one another. And I think that's that very same thing of, yeah, that's I mean, brilliant. I, I, mean, I didn't I, hear it. I didn't hear Andy because I had to fly and speak somewhere else. But I, I absolutely love that statement. Imagine a world where we are known, uh, where we are envied for how we treat one another. That, that right there is the, is the kingdom politics that I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, any closing thoughts for our listeners here today on our conversation that we've been having around the election? Yeah, my, my closing thought is this. When we wake up the day of the election and when we wake up the day after the election, the ruler of the world has not changed. The ruler of the word, world on the day before the election and the day of the election and the day after the election is Jesus Christ. And therefore, nothing happens of ultimate significance on the on election day in the United States or in any other place in the world. Well, doesn't get much better or clearer than that. Uh, Jesus is Lord, and we need to confess that. And um, that's what it was that allowed the kingdom to take root then, and that's what it's going to be to allow us to for it to take root now. So thanks again for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation, and uh, we look forward to being with you next time. 